Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, would you rather, would you rather go to a musical or see a stand-up comedian? Um, I, I think I would like both of those, but I'd definitely choose stand-up. Like I, I would do that. I, I, I think, I mean, part of it's a public speaker thing where I'm just amazed that people will pay that much money just to listen to someone talk for an hour and people will walk out if I talk for more than 45 minutes. So, <laughs> so there's a little bit of that. Um, but also I just, I just love to laugh. So uh, that the hard part is you got to, you know, choose wisely Stand up comedians. They're not always, you know, the most edifying, but the, the craft of like making jokes and getting kind of a run of things. I just, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I was just online last night looking to see if Nate Bargatze was going to be anywhere <laughs> in the area because he's on a new tour, and that dude is hysterical. I love both of these categories. I love stand-up comedy, and I love musical theater. See, I paused right there to say that. I think everyone listening to this podcast is like, no way. That dude does not love musical. <laughs> I love it. I am a season ticket holder for the Broadway series at the Paramount Theater in Aurora. I love musicals. Wow. I love the set design. I love music. I, I love it. Um, I think if I just compared, and I love stand-up comedy for a few reasons. One, I like to laugh. Uh, second, I do think that there are very distinct correlations between delivering stand-up comedy and preaching, right? It's one person on a stage with an audience, and there's a lot to there's a lot of similarity. So when I'm listening to stand-up comedians, I am paying attention to essentially their public speaking chops. And the other thing I like about stand-up comedy is it helps me fall asleep at night. So what? I actually <laughs> you fall asleep to it? Yeah, I actually listen to stand-up comedy when I'm going to sleep. Um, because it just helps my brain not think about anything else. Oh wow. wow. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. So all right. So if the question is musical theater or stand-up comedy, if I compare the ticket price cost of what it costs to go to a theater show and what it costs to go to stand-up comedian, I'm picking the theater. Picking theater, okay. Right, you get more of a show. for Dollar for dollar, you get more of a show. Stand-up comedians can be pretty yeah. darn expensive. Hmm. Um, I, I don't love either, okay? So, but if I had to choose, I would go see a musical. Um, for me, like, I, I totally get the whole public speaking thing and the speaking chops, but... Some of the humor just does not land with me most of the time. I'm everybody else is laughing around me. I'm just like, I don't really, <laughs> this guy, this guy's not funny. I don't really see what the big deal is. But maybe I just haven't listened to the right comedians. But so my 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 thought would be, I'll pick the musical. So have you ever listened to Nate Bargatze? Um. A, a couple times, but not for an extended period no. of time. Probably, okay. I've never seen an entire show. I maybe watched maybe five minutes of it. Do you so. think Jim Gaffigan is funny? Uh, I've laughed at some of his stuff, but okay. not all of it. Like he doesn't. They don't make me laugh oh, every they're, time. They're so funny, so good. Yeah, I, I also love. Maybe I just need to watch it with the right people too. I don't know. I also love the crooked way they view culture and society. Like I've heard someone say that comedians are the modern day philosophers and. In in some categories, I think that's probably true. They they at least get you to think about something because they got to look at it sideways, and and they they have somewhat permission to say things that other people don't because mm. you can dismiss it as as humor. So they'll they'll say more incisive, kind of pointed things. 
I often think that when I'm listening to stand-up comedy, like I could never say that from right. a church stage. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so if if it's not theater and it's not stand-up comedy, you're buying a ticket for something. What are you going to, Nikki? Mm, what am I going to? Are you going so, to movies, music concerts? I, I used to love to go to music concerts. I haven't been to a long time, but every weekend if there was a show, like one of my favorite bands or just a band that I, I liked, I was I was going to Chicago every weekend to to watch a band play. So that would be... That would probably be my go-to, is going to an actual concert. Um, But out of the two, yeah, I'll pick the musical. Hey, everyone out there that's listening to this podcast, we would love to know, when you're buying tickets to go to something, what are you buying tickets for? Let us know by emailing us at... Podcast at BibleSavvy.com. All right, Clayton, what are we looking at today? Uh, Something much less pleasant than what we just (laughs) discussed. Um, Welcome to the book of Nahum. Um, Nahum is a book you may have never touched before, um, but it is an Old Testament book. It's one of the minor prophets. Uh, By the way, minor prophets, if you've ever heard that term, it's not because they're less important. It's because they're small. And so the Latin word for small is just minor. And so... Not in stature, like physically. They're not physically. <laughs> they're, they're not, not short. They're not smaller than not the major. Short. The they major not. prophets are taller than six feet, and the minor prophets are all under six feet. <laughs> um, they're, they're short books. So they're, there we go. <laughs> they're short books. Short books, not short people. Not short people. Um, let me give you a little context for Nahum. Uh, Nahum is a prophet who is in uh, Judah. But he's talking about something uh, that's relevant to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel uh, has recently been invaded by a an empire called Assyria. Um, a little tip here, if you're trying to figure out um, kind of the history of things in the, the Old Testament, it's worth remembering this sequence. It may seem arbitrary, but this is helpful. There are four empires that come through, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome. And if you remember those... Um, it kind of helps you place things in history. So this is right after Assyria invades, and they're like the superpower of the day. They are a brutal, brutal people. Uh, they come through, invade the northern kingdom. Now the southern kingdom is feeling threatened by Assyria, and they're looking at them saying, God, what do you think about this? And Nahum is essentially saying, let me tell you what God thinks about Assyria, and it isn't pretty. So we're going to learn about that in Nahum chapter 1. Hey, here's a way to remember those four kingdoms. They're in alphabetical order. Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome. There you go. If you want to situate them in your head. Oh. And that sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. And even though I just gave you the alphabetical way to remember the kingdoms, that's not the comma tip of the week. We're in Nahum chapter one today. So you know that we are going to suggest that you read the introduction to the book in your study Bible. Check out the intros we provide at BibleSavvy.com or watch a Bible Project video on Nahum. But the version, Y-O-U version Bible app is the most downloaded and used Bible app in the world. And you can read or listen to the Bible using the app. The audio feature also includes intros to each book of the Bible. The intros are not nearly as thorough as the intros in a good study Bible, but they are there. So whether you are reading or listening, remember to never start at chapter 1, verse 1. Context matters, so always start a book of the Bible by reading or listening to an introduction to the book. And this has been your comma tip of the week. And now I'm going to read Nahum chapter 1. This is a lot of me talking on this podcast (laughs) in this section. All right, here we go. Prophecy Concerning Nineveh. The Book of the Vision of Nahum the Elkishite. 
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence and the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. All right, we are going to talk about observations. Uh, we're going to look at the details here and see what we can see. I'll make a, a first simple one. Uh, you may have heard when I was giving context that I said this is about the empire of Assyria, and you may have noticed the word Assyria doesn't come up in here, but it keeps talking about this place, Nineveh. Um, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, so it's just a shorthand. It'd be like saying Washington if we were going to talk about the United States or something like that. What else did you guys see? It almost this observation almost made me laugh when I was reading because the first six verses uh, is it's it sounds very serious that the earth shaken before the Lord and the Lord takes vengeance and he's filled with wrath and then verse seven the Lord is good <laughs> a refuge in times of trouble <laughs> that's that's a hard turn that's that's literally what I was going to point out um, yeah it's just like a such a gear shift right but. Both of those things are completely and one hundred percent true. Um, also, I love that, that I love the two questions in verse six: Who can withstand his indignation and who can endure his fierce anger? Simple answer: No one. No one. No one. No one. Yeah, if you uh, you know do what we often do with observations, and one of the things we look for are truths about God. Uh, there's a lot of truths about God in this passage. Uh, right at the top, he's jealous, avenging. Uh, he has wrath. He takes vengeance, and then it also says he's slow to anger. Um, and yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished and he's good. And so there is, uh, there's a lot of attributes of God there and a lot of them that we either find uncomfortable or we find hard to reconcile with the ones that we do like. And so there, there's something in this passage I think is valuable for wrestling with what do we do with that? Um, cause I would, I would actually make the case that in this sit situation, those are good news attributes for the people of Judah. They're listening to this saying, you know what? We feel this way about Assyria too. And it's good to know that God sees this and, and has anger about it too. But 
it, it's hard for us to to start off and say, the Lord is jealous, avenging, he has wrath, and then go down and say, the Lord is good. Well, and the other thing that is, is interesting here, I love that they do it, is he says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. So it's, a, so it's just like this idea of like, just because he's slow to anger doesn't mean that he's not powerful or he's not capable. He is. He's just choosing when and how to do it. Yeah, it's interesting that that verse there, you probably have heard the Lord is slow to anger. Uh, it usually says abounding in love, the very next thing. This is a, one of the most quoted descriptions about God in the entire Bible. It's because it's what God said to Moses when he said, tell me your name, tell me who you are. He says, I'm the Lord. And then I, he described himself saying these things, you know, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Um, and so there is something that, that uh, Nahum is kind of playing with here of saying, yeah, you know these core descriptions about God. Um, but let's also understand that sometimes that gets expressed in being against the things that would destroy the things he loves. And so there's 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 kind of this two-sidedness of uh, God's love for people is that he he both cares for them and he's good and a refuge. But when there is something wrong, he cares about that too. So one of the categories, as Clayton just mentioned, of observations is truths about God. There is a very clear list here. So I just want to just want to run through them. The Lord is jealous and avenging. The Lord takes vengeance. He's filled with wrath. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. He doesn't leave the guilty. The Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord is good. He's a refuge. He cares for those who trust in him. I'm sure, I'm sure there's more. I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, oh, one more. Verse 14, the Lord is given a command. So a truth about God, he gives commands. So there's a there's a lot here. If you only use the category of observations of what do I see here that are truths about God, there's an awful lot here in Nahum chapter one. I'll make an observation here of some things that pointed to other stories or uh, passages that I recognized. Um, and sometimes this is helpful in the, the prophets because the prophets are thinking about the entire history of Israel and drawing from all the imagery of you know past stories they would have known. And I think of things like uh, he makes the, he rebukes the sea and it dries up. So you think about the Red Sea, uh, which is uh, one of those situations where uh, God is rescuing his people, but he also punishes their enemies. Or I think about um, verse eight, with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. So there's the Noah story that's in there. And there, there are a few other places in here where you say, oh, these are these are language, language and images that come from lots of different places in the Bible. And Nahum is kind of remixing those things. One thing that I saw was uh, verse 15, look there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news. I thought, uh, and it says, who proclaims peace? I thought of the verse in the New Testament where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And so it made me think about the gospel. And then I looked at the the study note and it talks about three different kinds of deliverance here. One from, you know, like the uh, Assyria, one from Babylon, and then one from uh when Jesus comes, you know, to save us from our sins. And so it's really cool that there's three forms of good news there. And that observation just made me think when you said three deliverances, one from Assyria, one from Babylon. Now, doesn't it make a whole lot of sense that when Jesus shows up, he thinks that his main purpose is to deliver them from Rome? That's right. Mm -hmm. Because the deliverance that the people of God has experienced was always from external empires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's where some of the confusion comes uh, when that when that happens. Uh, one of my observations here is uh, it's coming from verse 12, uh, where it says, although they have allies and are numerous, they'll be destroyed and pass away. Um, when Judah was looking at 
the empire of Assyria at this time. Assyria is at the height of their power. So when Judah's saying, what are we going to do here? Um, they have no hope in and of themselves. Assyria is powerful. They have lots of allies. And so God is giving them a great reassurance of saying, even though it looks like they're undefeatable, they're, they're plowing through nation after nation, uh, they will be, uh, they're not a match for me. I will take them on and I will win. Uh, and there's something really reassuring about that. Um, I, I think it's important when we hear uh, passages about God's wrath, his anger and judgment. Sometimes we think, man, God's just always angry. He's just going after people. Um, very often, though, if you pay attention to who is uh, powerful and oppressive, um, it, God's on the side of the person who is the underdog, the person who is being exploited and so on, and uh, and and standing up against the powerful. It's not usually uh, God coming against the little guy and, you know, and, and, and crushing them even more. It's God saying, these people who think they're so powerful that they can take claim to my world and push people around, that's who I'm going to stand up against. That's where he gets angry. Uh, verse 9, an observation here is when, when the Lord deals with something, he deals with it definitively. Uh, so this is whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring it to an end, and the trouble will not come a second time. I've got an observation in verse 14. Uh, actually, two observations here. One is when he says, I'll destroy the images and the idols that are in the temple of your gods. Um, this is kind of revealing the battle behind the battle. Like, it's not just Assyria. It's who Assyria is worshiping and the, the gods that are driving them forward. And so that's that's really the kind of real heart of what's going on here. The other observation is this. And this kind of goes along with uh, Eric's, you know, once once he deals with something, he deals with something. Uh, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. Um, and it's it's interesting. There's no Assyrian Empire anymore. Um, the, the curious thing, I did actually, I was really curious. I was like, when did, you know, when did the Assyrians go away? I looked it up. There's actually a small remnant of Assyrians, like Assyrian-descended people who live in the country of Iraq. And... Um, and what's interesting is that when the gospel went out in the early centuries, they turned to Christ, like this small band of people. And so there's a, a little Christian community uh, that's uh, in the Middle East of uh, Assyrian descendant people who have now actually bowed their, their knee to the king uh, of Israel. And so it's a, an interesting thing. Uh, they were actually kind of persecuted uh, in the kind of early part of the 20th century, uh, but they're still there. So there's a there's like a mercy, a slowness to anger, even in that, that God would say, I'm going to preserve a remnant of these people who were the oppressors of my people and who were, were uh, brutal, brutal people. All right, let's talk about one of the M's in comma, which is meditation. This is where we prayerfully ponder uh, one of the, the passages, one of the verses in the passage. Uh, so I'm going to have us uh, look at verse three, and it says this, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. How do we sum up some of the things that we saw in a principle in one sentence or two? The message that I wrote down was God is just and 
merciful. Uh, My message is I want a God who is all of these things. All of them. Uh, Because if you are, if he's patient and good and loving, but also powerful and has wrath and does not let the guilty go unpunished, God can handle the entire universe. My message is God's anger is either good news or bad news, depending on which side of it you're on. So when you look at a God who is uh, angry at sin and injustice, um, if you're on the side of saying, God, I'm finding a refuge in you, and you are going to uh, push against the evil and the uh, oppressors and the people who are against us, then that's a good thing. You want that God who is going to defend what's right in anger. Um, But when you're on the other side, when you're the person who says, no, I actually am guilty, uh, that's a scary thing, and it's the place where you need to plead mercy. But God's anger is either good news or bad news, depending on which side of it you're on. All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. What do we do in response to these things? Uh, In response to uh, my message of God is just and merciful, it's this idea of of trusting, uh, trusting that God is... Uh, is good, and he knows when to apply his justice, and he knows when he knows when to apply his mercy to a situation. So, um, he he's a refuge in times of trouble, and regardless of what kind of mess this world is in, um, he's good, and he's just, and he's merciful, and he's going to apply the the right one to the right moment. Uh, I think my application for wanting a God that is all of these things described in Nahum chapter 1 would be that regardless of my situation, my first step should be towards God and not away from God. Uh, even if I think I've done something that makes him angry, he's slow to anger. He's not, he's not the abusive father that's just going to volcano on me. Uh, and he's good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So that gives me every confidence to move towards God in my time of trouble, not away from him. Yeah, my message is that God's anger is either good or bad news, depending on which side of it you're on. Um, some of it is being honest of which side you might be on and saying, I need to plead for mercy and get on the right side of that um, to, to hide yourself in Christ uh, so that you don't uh, be, have to be on the receiving end of wrath. Um, but then there's also uh, a certain amount of, of lament. It's interesting that the Psalms are full of prayers that are about your enemies, and there is an appropriate way to say, God, I need you to deal with the forces of evil in the world and the things that are against you and your purposes, and I want you to do it with some firmness. And uh, I think it's appropriate to pray those things. So um, that, that would be my application. All right, well, there you have it. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.